Yes. Just like that, we're back again. Shorter gap in between podcasts this time, as promised. And it's been an interesting couple of weeks. The uh, the first event that the UFC did in mainland China in Shanghai was a surprisingly unbelievable card. I don't, I don't know how many of you actually watched it. Uh, live or whether you've caught the replays or anything, but there were some really, really fun fights on that card. More headlines than anything else have kind of been drawn towards Michael Bisping's uh, unfortunate KO loss to Kelvin Gastelum, and I, 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 I don't, I don't really want to address that China card too much, um, mainly because I'm just so hyped about UFC 218 this weekend. But I will talk about Michael Bisping just for a minute because a lot of people are are throwing out this whole Michael Bisping should retire, Michael Michael Bisping's this, Michael Bisping's that. The fact of the matter is, regardless of whether Bisping asked for that fight or not, he had no business being in there with a guy as dangerous as Kelvin Gastelum three weeks after being dropped, smashed and strangled by GSP. Like, there's no chance whatsoever that his body and his brain had the time to do the necessary recovery that it needed after such a brutal fight with GSP. Now, that being said, like, it doesn't take away anything from Kelvin's performance because I don't necessarily believe that even if Bisping would have had all the time that it took to recover that there would have that, that Kelvin wouldn't have eventually got to that position anyway I think um, I think Kelvin Gastelum's one of those guys that although he's undersized for that division and it, obviously he's coming up from 170 he is he, he's so dangerous and he's punching like his straight punches are so good, it's so powerful that I think it's 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 kind of inevitable that a guy like Bisping, that's in the in the uh, in the twilight of his career, um, I, I don't know how that result doesn't happen every time. I mean, don't, I might be wrong, and maybe I'm looking into it. Um, like hindsight's twenty twenty and 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 all that, but I'd like I'm a big Gastelum fan. I'm a big Gastelum fan, and I think he looks fucking sensational at one eighty five. I don't know whether he's got that world beater, world champion uh, capabilities at one eighty five, but Christ, he's looked. Good. I mean, he looked great against Bisping, and. The, the one kind of sort of smudge against him, I suppose, at 185 is that when he come up against a real high-level 185 dude like Chris Weidman, just Chris Weidman just destroyed him. Which which kind of puts him in a weird place because he got destroyed by Weidman, but he knocked out Bisping. And I don't really know... I don't really know where Kelvin goes from there. Like, if I, because I think if you put Kelvin in against a legit high level 185er, like a man like R- Luke Rockhold, like Luke Rockhold is going to beat the fuck out of Kelvin Gastelum 
nine times out of ten. But there's always that one time where it kind of slips through. And you have to bear in mind as well that there's an undersized guy, arguably, in GSP that holds the championship at 185. Now, whether you whether you really want to argue that GSP is undersized is is one thing. I mean, obviously he spent the the majority of his career at at 170 and had his time off and then came back at 185. And I think GSP coming back at 85 at least for the time being is is something to do with the fact that he's had that time off and you don't really want to have four years off and then come back into what is by all accounts a, a pretty savage weight cut. So whether I mean whether that's true or not I don't know and whether Kelvin can really do anything spectacular at 85 I don't know either. I think personally like there's more exciting more fun fights for him at 70. I think if he can if he can fix whatever issues it was that stopped him from making weight effectively at 170 there's some there's some amazing fights for him there especially with like the fact that Carlos Condit's back now and Tyron Woodley is allegedly coming up short on opponents you've got Robbie Lawley you've got RDA you've got Nate Diaz you've got Nick Diaz you've got anyone there's a lot of fun fights for him at 70 but there's a lot of fun fights for him at 85 as well I just I just don't know if Kelvin can get past that sort of that top guard of the guys that I always sort of mention the Jacare's and the Yoel Romero's and the like we saw what happened with Chris Weidman and and the Luke Rockhold's like it's a, that's a murderer's row at the top of that division it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. But all talk of Bisping and his and his quick turnaround to one side, like Kelvin looked fucking sensational. And I don't think that the fact that Bisping took that fight on short notice should take anything away from Kelvin's performance. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> that, excuse me, that, that, uh, that right jab left over the top combination that he hit him with was absolutely horrific. And I don't know if, I don't know if there's anyone... That's that's throwing punches in those weight classes that are crisper than Kelvin at the moment. Like his boxing sensational. But we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. I mean, the next six months or so for Kelvin to see who steps up and who he's gonna have to fight next is gonna be is gonna be very interesting. And and like I said, I'm more I'm more excited about seeing him at 70, but Christ, if he can make a run at 85, that could be that could be very, very, very interesting too. So we'll see how that pans out. But all talk of China aside, <clears throat> excuse me, UFC 218 is this weekend. It is now, uh, what's the time? It is now 6 o'clock on a Thursday morning. UFC 218 is Saturday night. And I cannot wait. There are so many fun fights on UFC 218 that I don't really know where to start. So what I'll do, I'm just, I'm, I'm not really going to work for them in any order. It's just, in 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 terms of which ones uh which ones come to my head first so let's start with uh Sergio Pettis and Henry Cejudo now this is a big step up for Sergio Pettis like this is a real like Henry Cejudo is a real top of the mountain type guy at 125 at the moment especially 
with Cejudo coming off that performance that he had against Wilson Hayes, where he had that real long, bouncing karate stance, that, that Gunnar Nelson, Lioto, uh, Machida-style uh, stance. Like, he looked incredible. His power punching looked devastating. He looked like a completely different guy. He did, He looked like a... Like, he made such a big leap from the level that he was at when he fought Mighty Mouse to the level that he's at now. Like, it's it's unbelievable the leaps that he's made. And Sergio Pettis has been on a run as well. But if I'm really honest, I think maybe Pettis has bitten off a bit more than he can chew. I think, arguably, he's he's... He's jumping just a little bit too high um, for for the level that he's at at the moment. Now, that being said, I've been wrong in the past, and Sergio Pettis is no joke. Like he's legit. He's he's obviously younger brother of former UFC lightweight champion Anthony Pettis, and has spent a certain amount of time living in his brother's shadow. So that it's been a little bit of a. Uh, it's been a little bit of a strange career for him so far because he's been kind of trying to get out of that living in his brother's shadow thing. And and I think he's done it. Like he looks he looks uh he looks sensational in his last couple of appearances. So whether he can whether he can keep that that momentum going and he can he can do something serious against Cejudo remains to be seen but it's going to be a fun fight man they're both really high level strikers Sergio's got a great ground game and Henry Cejudo obviously is a former um, Olympic wrestler like he's got some of the highest level wrestling in in all of MMA like he's he's as legit as they come so seeing how that fight pans out is going to be really interesting and and I'm I'm pulling for Sergio as much as I don't really want to make a pick. I'm pulling for him. I don't necessarily think he can get it done or that he will 100% get it done. But I'm pulling for him because it's a big fight, and it, it's going to be the fight that's going to jump him to to that sort of that top of the mountain area where he can he can start making a, a legitimate claim to. For, for a title fight before that though if we're running in order before the Pettis-Sahudo fight is the fight that arguably everyone is more excited about than any other which is the Eddie Alvarez-Justin Gagey fight now for those that don't know Justin Gagey is uh, the former lightweight champion in World Series of Fighting and he's, I believe, 18-0. and 0. Uh, His first fight in the UFC, fought Michael Johnson, finished him in, a, in what was a pretty crazy fight. And he's an exciting dude. He's got that real, uh, like, just tucks his chin, marches forward, never wants to take a step back, just marches forward swinging. He's, he's, a, he's very much a fan favourite for that. He's never really in a boring fight. And... The same can be said to an extent for Eddie Alvarez. Like Eddie Alvarez is is a monster. And I know the same thing is happening to Eddie that kinda happened to Jose Aldo after they both fought Conor McGregor. Like they get discredited for being finished the way that they did. Um But Eddie Alvarez is no joke. He's a former Bellator champion. 
former UFC champion. Like, he's he's a, a very high-caliber fighter. And he's not afraid to get in there and get hit and really get stuck in and and make a and make a mess of it to an extent. Same as Justin Gagey. I think this fight like a lot of people are saying that this fight is going to be 100% chaos and I have to agree with them. Because Justin Gagey is he's a maniac. Like he's he and Eddie Alvarez as well. This is what makes it so fun. Like neither guy is afraid to get in there and take a punch and stand and 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 be and be one of those toe to toe stand and bang it out type fellas. And it has this has all the potential to be fight of the night for sure. And and for all intents and purposes, it has the potential to be fight of the year. I know these guys have been around each other a lot, to, like coaching the Ultimate Fighter. And they've kind of got to got to know each other a little bit, maybe than they would have ordinarily, and they've got to see like little looks on on how each other works. So how how the fight's going to play out is is going to be really interesting. But I I cannot wait. Like that's going to be that's going to be a super super fun fight. I've been a big Eddie Alvarez a big Eddie Alvarez fan for a long time, like since back in the Bellator days. So to see him fighting a guy that is as exciting and as dangerous as Justin Gagey is something that's got me really fired up for that fight. But the fight that has arguably got me more fired up than any on this card is fucking Francis Ngannou and Alistair Overeem. Like Francis Ngannou might be the scariest man in the world right now. Just broke the record for the hardest recorded punch in human history. Like, he's horrific. The man is spending his entire life training at this crazy new UFC performance institute that they've built in, in Vegas. Like, he's essentially just moved house there, lives there, trains there every day, taking advantage of the best of the best that the UFC can offer there. And... As if he wasn't scary enough before. I mean, Jesus Christ, that man is fucking terrifying. He is, for me, the scariest heavyweight that I've seen in a long time. In a really long time. And that's not taking anything away from Overeem. Like, Overeem is is as legit as they come as well. He's a monster. He's got the some of the best kickboxing in all of MMA. Certainly in that heavyweight division, he's the best kickboxer. He's got some of the nastiest knees in all of MMA and certainly in that division. He's got a great clinch. His ground game's good. Like, Overeem's a total package. And it's been interesting to see how he's transformed the way that he fights in the last sort of year or so. I mean, if anyone has listened to um, to these MMA... Uh, podcast that Joe Rogan's been doing, like you would have heard that he totaled up the amount of times that Overeem's been finished in the last however many years, and I think, I think he totaled it up as somewhere between eleven and thirteen just in MMA, and then I think another three, or four, maybe five in kickboxing before that as well. Like he's been finished a lot, and especially in the last couple of years, like he's been finished by by Bigfoot, he got finished by Ben Rothwell, 
finished by Stipe. Like, he's had some rough fights in the last couple of years. And for sure, his chin is not what it used to be. And Overeem himself is not what he used to be. Like, the, he is a shell of the guy that fought Brock Lesnar. But I suppose when you've tested positive and you're having to be a lot more careful about how you conduct yourself outside of the cage, it, it kind of informs the way that you fight as well. Like, he's gone much more to a strategy-based, technique-based approach, which I'm not mad at. It's interesting to see to see him work like work through like go through the motions of problem solving using his technique and his strategy as opposed to just being a destroyer who can just stand in front of you and just and just take everything you can throw at you. I mean Alistair Overeem is for all intents and purposes, he's the guy that retired Brock Lesnar. And that guy that retired Brock Lesnar doesn't exist anymore. But the new, this this Alistair Overeem 3.0 or whatever it is, is a very dangerous dude as well. So to see these two go together at this point is is very interesting because I think if Francis would have caught Alistair three or four years ago, it it would have been it would have been arguably a little bit more one-sided. But now Francis has got in, he's got some good wins. He he beat Andre Olofsky and a few others. Like, he's got in there and found his feet in the UFC. And now he's taking this big jump. Like, Overeem's ranked number one behind Stipe. That's a big jump. And... Only time's going to tell whether, whether he's up to the challenge or not. I personally think he is. I'm a big Francis Ngannou fan. And I would like to see him get to that title fight when he's ready to do it. I don't necessarily think that a win over Overeem should catapult him straight to it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I don't know. But to quote Rogan, like if he beats Overeem decisively, he's the hottest commodity in that heavyweight division because that heavyweight division's hurting at the moment like there's not a lot of new blood in there they're all guys that are arguably in the twilight of their career that's a saying that I've used twice now I don't know where that's gone from but they're guys that are on the tail end of their career guys like uh like Mark Hunt and Alistair Overeem and Andre Olofsky and Travis Brown like whether he ever comes back or not I don't know um Kane is out for God knows however long. For Doom has only got a certain amount of time left. So unless they get an influx of of new blood into that division in the next year or so, it's I, I, I think Francis has all the potential to just fucking run it. Because if we're really honest, if he if if over it uh, if. If Ngannou starches over him in very decisive fashion, if he KOs him clean, no questions, no ambiguity, no nothing, just flatlines him, then he's off to the races. Because this is the over him that beat um that beat Junior De Santos, that beat um uh Fabrice Overdoom, has has beat a few guys. And I think if Ngannou can get past over him, get that high-level experience and win decisively, he's off to the races. Him fighting Stipe would be fucking chaos. And it's a fight that 
that I really, really, really want to see. But he's got a big testing over him that's in front of him already, so we'll see how he gets on with that. But I'm picking Nganu. I think I think youth and power, size, arguably. Like, he's a natural 260-pound dude. There's no supplements in it. Like, I've read things with him saying that he doesn't even use protein powder because he's so worried that he's going to get a contaminated batch and test positive for something. So he is 100% six foot, whatever he is, six foot six, six foot seven, 260 pound shredded with abs. And all he's doing is eating red meat, fruit and vegetables. It's fucking crazy. He's such a freak. He's such a freak. And I'm looking forward to seeing him getting stuck in with Alistair over him. But arguably not as excited as I am to see Max Holloway and Jose Aldo get stuck into each other again. Man alive. That first fight was unbelievable. And I know some people are hating on the rematch. But I think you all just need to settle down a little bit. Like Aldo's ranked number one. And Frankie got injured. So what, what, it is what it is. Aldo was in camp already. He was training, training to fight... Uh, Ricardo Lamas two weeks later so he was in shape so why not make it like it's a fun fight that first fight was unbelievable it was crazy Aldo looked like he was running the show for the first couple of rounds until and allegedly if you want to believe Aldo and his story uh, he had a, a, some kind of leg injury that uh, that prevented him from really training as hard as he could pre-fight and stopped him from throwing any kicks really uh, during the fight, and also was a contributing factor into why he kind of slowed down and got tired so quick. Now, whether you want to believe him or not is is one thing, but I think the more important factor is that after Aldo lost to Conor McGregor, he came back and fought Frankie Edgar at UFC 200, and he looked fucking sensational. Boxed Frankie Edgar's head clean off his shoulders. Looks amazing. Now... He goes through that, gets his belt back, goes to fight Max, allegedly with an injury. I'm going to believe him just because just because I've got no reason not to. And runs the show for the first couple of rounds and then this injury catches up with him and he slows down and he gets caught. Now, if Aldo is 100% healthy now, which I have no reason to think that he's not... And he's got that fire in him that he had at UFC 200 post Conor McGregor when he was fighting, Fra- excuse me, Frankie Edgar. This has all the makings to be an amazing fight. Max Holloway is no joke. Max Holloway is as crazy as they come, and is as is a very exciting fight. He's been on a fucking tear as well. I think he's on like a ten or eleven fight win streak, which is ridiculous. And and he's he, and he's not afraid of Aldo in any way, shape, or form, which is nuts, because Aldo is the single greatest featherweight fighter of all time. And you can you can bring your Conor McGregor argument all you want, but you can go fuck yourself. Jose Aldo is the best one hundred and forty-five pound fighter of all time in mixed martial arts. He's the best. There's no one that even comes close. Undefeated for ten years. Beat everyone. Beat Frankie Edgar twice. 
beat Chad Mendes twice, beat the Korean Zombie, beat Ricardo Lamas, beat Uriah Faber in the WEC, beat the shit out of Uriah Faber in the WEC. He's beaten everyone. Everyone they put in front of him. Beat Cub Swanson with a flying knee. Fight barely lasted 25 seconds. Unbelievable. It's like, he's he's a monster. He's a fucking monster. And if he's a fired up, ready to get stuck in and get his title back, Jose Aldo, which I really, really hope he is, then I think Max is going to have a very, very tough night at the office. Because Aldo's striking is some of the best in the world. He has got the best leg kicks in all of MMA, in my opinion. Uh, and his ground game, his jiu-jitsu, is at an incredibly high level as well. Like, he, 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 he trains with people that are at such a high level, constantly. And trains all aspects, constantly. Training jiu-jitsu in the gi, and no gi, and kickboxing, and straight boxing. Like, he's... He's a monster. So to see how Max can deal with this this fired up Jose Aldo that I hope we're we're gonna see is is gonna is gonna be really interesting. And to see how Jose Aldo deals with a Max Holloway that has now got that confidence of being a champion is gonna be an interesting thing as well. Because that's the, that's the thing that a lot of people say that like you can be at a high level as a fighter, but once you get that championship belt, once you get that that status of I'm the best in the world and here's the belt to prove it, that is what elevates people's games more than anything. So I'm expecting to see a, a very much improved Max Holloway, a more confident Max Holloway. He's going in against a guy that he's already beaten, uh, which has to which has to foster a certain amount of confidence as well. But I'll never count Jose Aldo out of anything. He's He's like one, well, like I said, he's the best 145 pound MMA fighter of all time, and I think I th- I really think like if if Max wins and Aldo comes off, uh, if Aldo comes off with another loss here, I would like to see Aldo shift up to 55 and uh, and start doing his thing up there. I think there's a lot of fun fights for Aldo at 55, whether it be Anthony Pettis or Edson Barboza. Or Eddie Alvarez, or anyone that's in the top ten at one fifty-five, would be a fun fight for Jose Aldo. So I don't know. We'll see how it pans out. We'll see which Aldo turns up. We'll see which Max Holloway turns up. We'll see how that whole shebang plays out before we start making plays for who should go where and who should fight who next. But fuck me, if this Frankie Edgar-Max Holloway fight doesn't happen at some point in the near future, I'll be really upset. I'll be really upset because that is that is the fight of all fights. Especially, like, if Max Holloway can get through Jose Aldo and come out the other side with a title, like, that makes the Frankie Edgar fight all the more bigger. I mean, I don't hate it. I don't hate it just as a regular fight, but... Oh, excuse me. But Jesus Christ, I would, yeah. Fighting for the title is the thing. I really think that that fight can be the one that gets Frankie to that two titles in two weight classes type fight. I think it's, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an easy fight for him, but I think, I think it's a bad fight for Max. 
But then again, I've said that about Max before, and and I've been wrong, and I've been proved wrong by many people in the past before. So I may be wrong again. You never know. But it is what it is, and this weekend's card is unbelievable. Also, just a quick a quick mention. I haven't got time to go into it too deep, but Paul Felder and Charles Oliveira on the prelims card head uh, the 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 feature fight on the on the Fox Sports prelims is an amazing fight. Paul Felder, super super high level striker, amazing guy, like amazing fighter, and Charles Oliveira is a fucking savage as well. So to see how that one pans out is going to be interesting. And the I forget the name of the lady that she's fighting, but the Angela Magana fight on the Fight Pass prelims is going to be pretty good as well. Magana needs a win bad. And the chick who she's fighting is going to get a certain amount of pump off beating a chick who's got a name like Magana. Granted, it's not the biggest name in the world, but she is a well-known, ranked... (coughs) Excuse me. Ranked fighter at 125 or 115. So... That should be interesting as well. The whole card stacks all the way through. So it's going to be a really fun weekend of fights. And the other thing that I haven't had a chance to mention is the Ultimate Fighter finale that is on Friday night as well. Crowning a women's £125 champion and creating a division there. That's going to be a fun, fun fight. And if you've watched this season of Tough, it's been relatively interesting. It's been, It's not been the most exciting season. I mean, let's not get it twisted it has not been the Diego Sanchez season like season one it has not been as fun as Rashad versus Rampage for the heavyweights like but it's been a fun season it's been well it's not been fun it's been interesting so to see how that pans out as well and and how this 125 women's division comes in and how that pans out is is going to be interesting as well because I think there's a lot of interesting moves to be made from for 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 chicks to move up from 115 to 125 or down from 135 to 125. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I know Holly Holm, uh, not Holly Holm, uh, Valentina Shevchenko said she's interested in going down to 125. And Joanna Janjajic has said she's interested in going up to 125. So there's some, there's some fun fights to be made there over the next year or so once this division gets established and once they, uh, once they get, once they get up and running, but for this weekend, the tough finale is going to be it's going to be a fun fight, and UFC two eighteen Saturday night is going to be nothing but straight fireworks. So make sure whatever you do, you do not miss it. Hit me up on Twitter at fight pdcst, and on Facebook fight fanatic podcast there is a facebook page for it please feel free to pop over to either of them find me a tweet find me a message let me know what you like what you hate what you wish there was more of what you wish there was less of or just or just say what's up it'd be interesting to interact with a few of you guys and and see what you think of everything and 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 see and just get a little bit of feedback i don't necessarily try and tailor these to 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 everyone else's expectations but i it would be it would be um it would be good for me to get some feedback some real like constructive feedback i should say not just not just keyboard warrior 140 character bullshit but like yeah 
get in touch. Let me know. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you hate it. And if you can head over to iTunes and leave one of those five-star reviews, that will go a long way as well. It would be very, very much appreciated. That being said, I've hit 32 minutes, 33 minutes, something like that. So I'm going to get out of here. I've got to go to work. Got to go do that thing. Get that money, son. So until next time, until Monday-ish, when I come back with a 218 post-fight thoughts and results and a bit of a breakdown and see where everyone goes from here, please take care of yourselves. And I'll talk to you soon. One love.